Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Eric Duhame, co-founder and CEO of Centaur Labs. Centaur Labs helps AI developers and data scientists label medical and scientific data sets at scale so they can build and improve their models more quickly and easily. He joins us on the program today to talk about generative AI in the healthcare space today and the increasingly important role human experts will play in the development of the AI of tomorrow. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Eric, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Yeah, thanks for having me. The last nine months have completely changed how the world talks about AI, especially with generative AI. How can we see the opportunities and challenges of these new generative AI capabilities in the healthcare space? Yeah, it's it's been an exciting time for sure. So in terms of opportunities, with the launch of large foundation models like ChatGPT, you can simply build models faster than ever before, basically overnight. And you can interact with them as though they're human, which makes these models far more accessible. So for, for example, historically, if you built an AI model to say interpret a radiology image, you know, it might spit out a probability like likelihood of cancer is 70%. And this can be difficult for people to interpret and work with. People are, are bad at probabilities, but we're good at language. So but now you have the potential to do something like create a model that can read a radiology image, but then you know, it generates a complete descriptive radiology report, just like a human would. So it's, it's an exciting time and there's a lot of new opportunities. Now, the challenge is that these more human-like responses, they, they produce essentially an infinite number of potential outputs. And this makes quality control more challenging. You know, and we've all also all heard about issues with large language models like hallucinations. These challenges are especially important in industries like healthcare. You can have a large language model that makes a first draft of marketing copy or drafts an email for you, and it can make some mistakes and that's fine. But how do you maintain quality when the stakes are high? Move fast and break things works in some areas, but not when it comes to human health. So one very public example of this recently involved the National Eating Disorders Association. They had an AI-powered chatbot that was developed and managed by a third-party company. The chatbot would answer questions and offer advice to people seeking health you know, advice based about their eating disorders. Now, they also had a human-powered hotline that patients could call into. Historically, this chatbot was rules-based. So all the answers were pre-approved and determined by experts in eating disorders. That way, the company had complete control over the chatbot model and it couldn't do anything unexpected. Then the AI vendor, they updated the rules-based chatbot and used one that leveraged a large language model. Now, the upside of this change is that the model's responses could be more flexible, they could be more personalized, they sounded more human, but I think it was within weeks, there was numerous reports of the model sharing harmful information. So I, I think someone, you know, asked the chatbot for help with their eating disorder and was offered information about how to lose weight and restrict calories, you know, behaviors that exacerbate disordered eating. So clearly, you know, that, that, that's one example of a company where the, the developers jumped the gun and didn't think enough about how to ensure adequate model quality in this new era. So 
Right. It's certainly a, you know, a time of exciting opportunities, but there, there's also a lot of new challenges as a result. Absolutely. And let's dig into quality control. I think even in your last answer, our audience could understand at least being at that juncture of development and thinking, well, don't I have all my bases covered? And that just not being the case. Also, in your last answer, how very important this is in the healthcare space, just given the regulatory and ethical standards. It's a different ballgame than in other industries. What do healthcare leaders need to know to ensure quality in these models? Yeah, good question. I mean, ensuring models are accurate, it, it comes down to three things. So first, it's still all about the data. In specialized domains like healthcare, you need to build large-scale training data sets to, to fine-tune those foundation models for your use case. Second, you have to give the model feedback by building expert preference data sets. And finally, you have to recognize that AI development, it's an ongoing iterative process. So you need to rigorously test and monitor models on an ongoing basis. It's not a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's different in domains like healthcare where accuracy really matters is you need skilled people or experts involved in all of these steps. Whereas historically, you know, most of the grunt work for developing AI in domains like, say, the autonomous vehicle industry, it's been done by low-skilled, low-wage workers. But here you need experts. So for that first point, you know, to build large, high-quality training data sets, Consider the fact that the latest versions of these large language models were essentially trained on the, you know, the whole corpus of internet data. Now, if you want a more specialized model, you need unique data sets that these models haven't seen before. So, you know, one, one example is at NYU, they fine-tuned Google's BERT model with millions of clinical notes from their EHR. And leveraging that data set led to significant improvements compared to the baseline and compared to other models. So for the second point on expert preference data sets, let me say what I mean by this. So a lot of models like ChatGPT were trained with reinforcement learning with human feedback, or RLHF. OpenAI, you know, they used an army of low-wage workers throughout the world to provide feedback on the model's outputs. These workers are doing things like scoring the, the summaries and ranking the quality of answers from ChatGPT. Now, when it comes to healthcare, not anybody can provide adequate feedback on things like the quality of a synthetically generated radiology report or on the quality of advice for patients with eating disorders. So what you need is people with specialized expertise to provide that feedback. You have to move beyond reinforcement learning with human feedback or RLHF to reinforcement learning with expert feedback or RLEF. So finally, when it, when it comes to ongoing model monitoring and quality control, the same principle applies. It's critical to have experts reviewing model outputs. So in many cases, what you want is for a model to generate a response and then for an expert to review that prediction. So, you know, it's not really any different from having a model generate an email or a draft of marketing copy for you, but then you still have to review the output before sending that email or posting the marketing copy to, you know, the company account. But the difference is in skilled domains, you need skilled people reviewing the model's output first. So to take that example of the eating disorder hotline again, you might want to have a quality control system where when a chatbot gets a particular type of question, like something urgent or maybe something like suicidal ideation, it escalates the response to a human expert for review before it's sent or to take over the conversation. And either way, if you don't have real-time experts in the loop, you want to be randomly sampling the model's responses to monitor quality on an ongoing basis. Even if the model seems like it works on day one, that doesn't mean there's not edge cases it's missed. That doesn't mean new issues won't arise as you know new people start to use it and as the world changes. So 
an AI model trained to identify medical misinformation might need to be continually updated as our understanding of diseases and treatments evolves. So to summarize, to make sure these models are accurate, it requires engaging a workforce of experts at every step of the process. And that's what's going to differentiate those AI models that make an impact and are lasting from those that won't be useful and that might even be harmful. Yes, we've spoken a lot of times on this show about really the phrase tends to hover around humans in the loop. But I'm seeing this in a lot of interviews that we're having across the board, that there's a greater emphasis on experts rather than just humans, especially in highly skilled workflows, as you were mentioning in your last answer. I'm wondering if we can put a finer point on experts in this process here, because to me, is especially for at least model development, it doesn't seem to be a matter of just necessarily skills or education. Who are these experts? Is it, you know, the time being spent with the patient? How do you determine if their work is high quality and how can AI business leaders ensure that bringing experts in the loop doesn't slow AI development? Yeah. I mean, if you're bringing experts into the loop, it's inherently going to be slower than leveraging unskilled workers overseas, which is what most solutions out there provide today. So providing experts you know, that's what we've set out to do at Centaur Labs. And we've certainly built up an army of tens of thousands of medical doctors and PhDs and other experts to help companies build state-of-the-art AI models. But as you're getting at, simply having a large workforce of experts isn't enough. You also have to apply data science principles to ensure quality from those experts. So motivating experts can be difficult. And even when experts try their hardest, they disagree with each other. So, you know, how do you get to the truth even when the experts disagree with each other? I mean, it's actually pretty scary if you look at the literature and see how much experts disagree with each other when it comes to things like cancer diagnoses. And yet, you know, you're basically trusting one person when you're the patient. So that's the question that first motivated me is what do you do when the experts disagree with each other? I was doing my PhD at this place called the Center for Collective Intelligence at MIT and, and, and came up with an answer where you basically do two things. First, you don't just trust experts based on their credential. Just because someone has a fancy degree, it doesn't mean they're performing well at the task that you care about. So you need to measure performance continually and in a data-driven way. The second thing is you need to harness the collective intelligence of multiple people. Don't trust just one expert. So for example, we found in research with folks at Memorial Sloan Kettering that by measuring the performance of people, throwing out the votes of people that are doing a bad job, and intelligently combining the votes of people that are doing a good job, we can get you know groups of what you might call semi-experts, like medical students, to outperform board-certified dermatologists with 10 years experience at classifying skin lesions for cancer. So like I was saying, it's not really just about recruiting the army of doctors and PhDs and experts as much as it is about continually measuring expertise in a data-driven fashion and then intelligently combining the votes of highly skilled workers. In terms of how to do this at a huge scale, one thing that's fun about our company is the, the way in which we measure performance and reward performance has actually solved the scale problem. So our, our data annotation platform, you know, our people on it, they're literally competing with each other to be the most accurate. And they're only rewarded if they're high up enough on a leaderboard for any given task. And it turns out that experts like medical doctors, they're, they're also highly competitive in addition to being highly skilled. So we found that when it comes to skilled work, gamification in this way can drive incredible scale. And today we collect millions of opinions weekly from experts. And because they're having fun and competing with each other, it's it's at a price point more similar to hiring unskilled workers at hourly rates. 
Absolutely. And while I think this perspective is kind of falling by the wayside in the mainstream media, this idea that, you know, humans will be replaced by AI, I think even, you know, among my grandma, the the pop culture crowd, I think there's a, a different perception there. But something I really appreciated in your last answer is just showing how much these models are really dependent on human inputs as what's going to differentiate them from their, at least the bespoke models from their foundational counterparts. But given that context, how should humans, particularly experts in the loop that you mentioned, think of their role in AI? <laughs> Yeah, I used to get that question a, a lot, especially early on, and, and it seems to be coming back up again these days. So, you know, I think what people miss is that new technologies like AI, they they don't necessarily replace work. They change how work is organized. So, for example, you know, one story I like is that when ATM machines were deployed, there was fear that bank tellers were going to be out of the job. And what, what actually happened is it became more affordable for a bank to open up a new branch and the number of bank tellers increased. Now, th that doesn't mean that there weren't changes. What happened is the nature of the job changed. So today, the typical bank teller is more educated than 30 years ago, and they spend less time cashing checks and more time you know, on relatively higher skilled tasks like answering complicated questions or cross-selling products. So I think the same thing's happening today when it comes to AI and healthcare and other industries where you are traditionally working with experts. So not long ago, you had people like Jeff Hinton, one of the godfathers of modern AI, quoted as saying, we should stop training radiologists now. And I think people are starting to better appreciate already today that AI is not going to necessarily replace all doctors, but that it's going to be, you know, AI and doctors working together. There's certainly going to be a lot of changes in terms of how humans fit into the picture. The, the roles are going to change and evolve and in many ways for the better. So, you know, you've got a lot of companies today working on automating the creation of doctor's notes based on a conversation between a patient and a doctor. And that is going to free up doctors to actually look at you in the eye as they're seeing you. And, you know, they're going to get to spend more time seeing more patients and less time writing notes. And that's going to lead to overall improved care. So I, I no, I, I don't think AI is going to you know replace humans. I don't think it's going to replace doctors, but I do think certain tasks are going to be replaced by AI, and humans are going to have more time to focus on other tasks where they add the most value. So it looks like the future for experts for healthcare organizations is going to reside a lot in data labeling, especially to build out these foundational models and make really strong bespoke models. What developments are you excited to see in this space for AI and healthcare? Well, I think that the data labeling space is going to keep changing in a couple of ways, and I think in a couple of exciting ways. So first off, I think demand is going to keep accelerating. I think the role of data labeling is only going to increase. Now, this is for a couple of reasons. One, as technologies improve and become lower cost and more accessible, there's more and more data, and that provides more and more opportunities for AI development. So for example, we work with a lot of companies in the point of care ultrasound space. These are handheld machines that are cheap and portable. You know, ultrasound has been around for 60, 70 years, but now you've got these little devices that cost $1,000 that you can take anywhere in the world and basically look anywhere inside the human body. But this means that there's a massive amount of things that you can do with it for model development to analyze the data that's coming from these machines. And this is a, a new thing that hasn't really been around for a couple decades. So that, that's one example where you've got the evolution of hardware and data capture is leading to exciting opportunities for model development, but that requires a bunch of data labeling. Relatedly, you've got new devices entirely. 
that generate entirely new sources of data that creates more opportunities for model development. So, you know, we work with one company, Echo Health, EKO, which has built a digital stethoscope. It's digital, so now instead of a doctor needing to be right there listening to your heart or your lung sounds, you can have a nurse doing a home call, take a recording and share it with the doctor later or something like that. But because it's digital, you can also build an AI to analyze this data. So Echo now has an FDA-approved heart murmur detection product. But building that product required annotating tens of thousands of these recordings. And, and again, it's, it's a new type of data. So there, there's exciting stuff in the data labeling space just because there's new types of data and new types of problems to be solved. Think also about, you know, all of the different, you know, wearables and remote monitoring devices. You know, it's a lot of exciting new data, data formats that can build new AI models. Now, the more that AI proliferates, you know, the more I see demand for labeling increasing, but the more I think that it's going to become relatively about expert labeling, as I've been saying. So I think the relative need for skilled labeling is going to increase because as these models get extremely good at relatively simple tasks, AI developers are going to increasingly focus on training models on more difficult things. As we move from models that help you write an email or drive a car, you know, these are things that most people can do pretty well to models that help lawyers draft documents or doctors diagnose diseases, experts are gonna become relatively more important in the data labeling industry. So as I mentioned, you know, most people today, they think of the grunt work of AI as requiring low wage unskilled workers to do tedious data annotation work, but the AI models that are gonna revolutionize industries like healthcare, like law, those require engaging experts at scale at every step in the development process. Absolutely. Especially given the influx of new technologies, as you were mentioning, that we're, we know in just a few years are probably going to rise to the standard of commonplace biometrics, the Internet of Things, the wearable technology you mentioned. Yeah, it's it's going to be a very new world very, very quickly. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today on the program to explain it. Thank you for having me. Before we wrap up today's show, I think today's episode is really indicative of how the healthcare space especially is unique for being able to display how our predictions about AI and how they'll interact with human beings are not reliable the earlier you go. We mentioned Jeff Hinton's inaccurate predictions. But the fact of the matter is, and I think this is really sinking in with the public, it's that these models will require lots and lots of human attention. In as much as it's a popular line to say, oh, we don't know the jobs that AI is going to create. Actually, we have a very, very good idea in terms of the importance of reinforcement learning from human feedback, which we talked about here and there throughout today's episode, and the importance of that system in reinforcing the integrity of models. And especially in a space like healthcare, where you are in constant contact with human beings, patients are not customers, they require a higher ethical standard, they require a much more stringent standard of attention and care. And for that reason alone, the importance of reinforcement learning from human feedback, or RLHF for short, will be tremendously important just going forward in terms of how these models reinforce systems that will support and improve patient experiences. 
I really hope that we all look at healthcare over the next few years and breathe a bit of a sigh of relief in terms of that this whole replacement theory, for lack of a better way of putting it, is a bit overblown and in a very specific way that we might not have been able to see even two years ago. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast. <laughs>